morning. This is attorney Vince Davis, and this show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, all. It's Saturday morning, and we're broadcasting live. It's Saturday, August 5th, 2017. In today's show, we're going to take a few calls, but I'm also going to be talking about a few topics that may be um, helpful to our listeners. First thing I'm going to talk about today is a case that I just finished. It took several months, but we just uh, finished the case, the trial in the juvenile court in Monterey Park, uh, California, which is in the county of Los Angeles. Uh, it was a very interesting case. And luckily, we won that case, and the case was thrown out by the judge. But it took months of trial um, to get that result. And I would like to talk about that case this morning. Uh, And also, I want to give everyone a reference um, to a resource that I think that uh, you should check out. The California court system uh, has developed a book, and it's called the Dependency Quick Guide. It is available online, and it is free. Um, I think you might have to register with your name and email address, but um, uh, it is a free resource. And it really is a book. It's described as a dog book for attorneys representing children and parents, and it's the second edition Uh, And I think that it is a resource that everyone who is involved in juvenile dependency proceedings should check out because it gives a lot of information about uh, things that affect juvenile court proceedings. For example, it gives all of the hearings in a juvenile dependency proceeding. For example, if you look at its table of contents, uh, it breaks down the hearings as um, the initial detention hearing, the jurisdiction hearing, the disposition hearing, the the judicial review of placement with parents hearings, and all of the status review hearings, and the selection and implementation hearing. Now, let me give you the website. It's at courts.ca.gov. And if you have problems finding it, just Google Dependency Quick Guide. And you will be able to find this resource. It's quite uh, long. It's over 550 pages. But uh, you can download it to any device, including your smartphone. And you can have this guide. And it will explain a lot of things that you should know with respect to the juvenile dependency proceedings. Uh, Before I go any further, what we're going to do is I'm going to take a call from one of the listeners, and I'm having some technical difficulties.
Well, while we work out those technical difficulties, I'll go on and speak more about what's happening or what happened in that case. So in that case, it was kind of some odd facts. Um, It was a gentleman. I represented a gentleman who was a legal guardian child, and he had gained legal guardianship through the Los Angeles Superior Court, um, the probate department. So I'm sure all of our listeners may be aware that in certain situations, um, parties may end up in the juvenile court, excuse me, in the probate court, uh, dealing with um, the custody of a child through a guardianship. Now, these aren't CPS or DCFS proceedings. They are actually proceedings that deal with the custody of a child without a social work. Client had gained custody of that child through the probate department. And there were um, initial allegations in that case where the father of the child alleged that he had been sexually abused by the person wanting to become the legal guardian of his son. And those proved to be wrong. And as a matter of fact, in the probate case itself, case itself the father admitted that those allegations were false. And uh, my client was granted legal guardianship of the child. And let's fast forward about four or five years. Um, the social worker from DCFS gets a complaint um, that he was sexually abused by the legal guardian. And I'm going to stop the story there, pick it up in a moment. I'm going to take a couple of calls. The first call is from area code 310, ending in 29. Good morning. You're Good morning, on with Mr. Davis. Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. How are you? I have um, a story with a question. I have a story with a question. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Well, I have one statement. Um, I've read the dog book before, and I think it should be required that it be served with a notice of hearing when a child has to go to dependency court. But before that, um, my daughter, my 15-month-old daughter, was removed from me um, from a Los Angeles DCFS um, DCFS office. The social workers decided to um, remove my 15-month-old daughter two and a half months after I was viciously assaulted by her father and the LAPD had responded. Um, The LAPD detective in the case did not like me and decided to have me prosecuted for spousal abuse instead of my abuser, although I had gone to the hospital and had received medical care and also had filed a police report. eventually. Los Angeles DCFS office at Water Ridge decided to remove my daughter. Um, They claimed that I um, had emotionally abused my daughter and that her physical environment posed a threat, although she had been into the DCFS office during their investigation at least three times with me. They had been to my home at least three times, I believe, at that point. And eventually, a social worker, Erica Walker, um, by the way, my name is Michelle Robinson. A social worker named um, Erica Walker 
um, who I had a recorded conversation with, said that she believed my daughter was removed because of all of my um, fight against her removal. Um, subsequently, Edelman Court um, removed my daughter. Judge Sullivan actually signed the warrant. Um, I'm not sure why, but based on the information she was probably given, she decided to detain my 15-month-old, but not my teenage daughter, who lived in who lives in the same home. Um, at some point, I went to trial. Um, referee Clay hurt my first trial. Um, I found out while he was in the middle of hearing my trial, he had taken a job with DCFS or well, LA County Council, who represents DCFS, and he he recused himself. After he recused himself, I was seen by Commissioner Padilla, um, who has her own issues. She should be Googled. Um, Commissioner Padilla decided to, um, I guess, sustain the petition on one out of three charges, charge one being that we had a fight in front of my daughter, charge two being that my ex was a drug user, which he's admitted in open court, and um, three, that I'm an, I had emotional abuse against my daughter. She did not sustain charges two and three. Charge two, that my ex was a drug addict because then they couldn't substantiate having given my daughter to him, which they did. I'm sorry, my voice is breaking because I'm so emotional. Um, and eventually my daughter was, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. And anyway, my daughter was removed in that entire, my daughter was removed that entire time. DCFS put me through a lot of changes. Um, I was not able to, the monitors, the seven monitors who had fingerprinted an attorney, um, a probation officer, all family friends of mine were not approved as monitors. Um, they were not denied. I just was never told that they were approved. Um, so I never got an opportunity to use family member or friends as monitors um, for several months. By the time I was able to use a monitor, DCFS had decided that um, they thought that I posed a threat to them. And they all at first only wanted me to have visits with my daughter in their office. I work business hours when they're open. So eventually I only I decided all I can do is see my daughter on my lunch hour. So I did that for about two and a half months. DCFS decided that um, I had threatened them and that I couldn't even come to their office. So they essentially and effectively deprived me of visits with my daughter. At this point, I haven't seen my baby in more than nine months. Um, and eventually after Padilla um, ended up having to recuse herself um, because of various misdeeds in this matter and others, um, I was appointed Judge Manetris. Um, in this time, Family maintenance services were supposed to be had. Um, I didn't receive them. My ex was supposed to drug test. I don't have any information that he ever did. Uh, we were both supposed to do individual counseling. We were both supposed to go to domestic violence classes. Um, and there was some other requirement I can't remember at this time. Um, I complied. I went through domestic violence classes and training. I went to individual counseling at an enormous cost to myself. I did everything that I was asked to do. And eventually, um, Manette, Judge Manetris decided that none of that mattered and that DCFS wanted the case closed and there was no good reason. And although we had been ordered family maintenance services at the beginning of the case as a recommendation, but ordered by Judge Pazia back in October, um, and my ex never complied, he was never made to bring proof. There was no proof before the court. I submitted proof on several occasions, got no credit. Um, I got, I got nothing, no, no acknowledgement whatsoever. And anyway, the case was closed and my ex got full legal and physical custody of my infant child who I still have never, have not seen. 
and then I went to family court to try to undo it. I don't know what else to do. I've exhausted everything I can possibly think of doing. What can be done? My case is an appeal. I don't know if I have to wait until my appeal is exhausted. Um, my case is going to appeal because I did want to appeal everything that's happened. I just don't know what to do. Okay. So your juvenile case is closed, correct? That's correct. And you filed in family law court. What happened in that hearing? Um, the judge essentially said I did not have a legal reason for her to change the order as it currently is. Oh, and the current order says that I must have monitored visits by a professional monitor. I can't afford a professional monitor. They charge $50 an hour. I'm allowed um, two hours per day, three times per week, which equates to six hours, $300 a week, $1,200 a month. I can't afford it. I did tell the judge that I couldn't afford it, and she said there was nothing she could do. Okay. So there is something that can be done. I think that you just have to be able to do it uh, the legal way. Who was your fa Who was your uh, family law judge? Um, at different times, the the most recent one was Judge Menetris. No, no, not your juvenile judge, Menetris. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, my ju oh yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The family law judge was a commissioner VC in Los Angeles County. Linda VC and Torrance. That's correct. Okay, so this is what you have to do. You have to come up with a plan to strategically um, show Commissioner VC that you have addressed all of the judge's concerns in the juvenile court case since the juvenile court case ended. The second thing that you have to do with respect to the counseling, excuse me, respect to the monitoring, is you have to make a file an RFO to request that the father pay for part or all of the mon of the monitoring. Um, because if you can't afford it, he should be paying for it. And if you didn't make that request, um, Commissioner VC is not going to address it just out of the blue. Does that make I sense? See. Oh, no, it definitely makes sense, yes. I did tell her that I had done the counseling and the domestic violence classes, um, but she didn't seem to be able to consider it. She said that was not a legal reason, and she could not undo the dependency. It, it seemed to me that she was very apprehensive about wanting to challenge dependency court orders, and, and they may have did done or said something to make her feel that way. Okay, so did you happen to have any prog any admissible evidence that you had completed the counseling and the parenting and that you had completed it in a successful manner? No, I only wrote a narrative. I didn't attach any documentation, no. Right, so um, one of the things you may not be used to, you know, being in, in juvenile court, is that in regular courts, family courts, civil courts like that, they actually work on specific rules and rules of evidence. 
So you just can't go in there and say, hey, Commissioner Vesey, give me justice. It doesn't work like mm-hmm. that. You actually have to have some evidence, and you have to bring it to her in the appropriate manner. So in this particular case, you're going to have to file an RFO with an income mm-hmm. and expense declaration, and part of that RFO is going to say, hey, number one, I want the father to pay for part or all of the monitoring. Now, I've been involved in a few family law cases where that has been made, and suddenly, because the father has to pay for it or the mother has to pay for the monitoring of the other parent, they just agree to to let that, you know, no more monitoring is needed because, you know, in reality, it's really not needed, and, you know, I don't want to pay for it. So that's the first thing you got to do is to uh, spread the cost of the monitoring so, you know, you don't have to pay for it all. Uh, and that will require the father to come forward and either say, okay, get rid of the monitoring or I'll pay for half, or the judge will make a decision, the commissioner of VC will make a decision based upon the relative incomes of both sides. So that's the first thing you got to do. The second thing you got you have to do in your RFO is you have to ask to uh, modify the custody and visitation based upon what you have done since the closing of the juvenile court case. Now, you're going to have to present evidence of what you've done, and independent evidence is always good. So if you have gone to a counselor, what you would want to do is introduce, and you have to properly introduce this into evidence, and there's ways to do that. We won't get into that in this call, but uh, you have to show the judge that you've been going to counseling, that there's a report from the counselor, that the counselor's probably willing and able to come into court to be, to te- you know, to testify, to answer questions that the father or that, that the judge may have, um, you know, about your counseling and, and the same for your parenting. So you have to do this kind of in a formalistic way. It's just not, hey, I want to go to court and have justice done. That's not the way it works. Justice is a set of rules that we have to follow. And you may not know what those rules are, so you you would definitely or you should definitely speak to, you know, a family law attorney about this. If you'd like, I can give you my email address and you can email me um, what you did file with in front of a commissioner VC. And I can make some comments, some further comments on what you might want to do to have a better, you know, uh, probability of success because what I would do if I were you I'd file again as soon as possible uh, for those uh, changes to be made if you have a pen I'll give you my email address yes I do thank you it's yes I'm ready v, as in this, it's v dot davis at vincent mm-hmm. w davis dot com the dot davis at vincentwdavis.com ma'am i want to thank you for calling in and sharing with us good luck on your family law case and please do email me i might be able to give you some assistance and some suggestions thank you so very much thank you bye-bye okay before i resume my story about my case with the um Guardian, I'm going to take a couple more calls. We're kind of back, backing up on the calls. So the next call is from area code 951, ending in 06. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story or a question? Um, I actually have a question for you. Um, 
My name is Caroline Bush, and um, I'm currently a foster parent, and I'm adopting my grandson. I'm in Riverside County, and my grandson's sister, who is presumably my granddaughter, um, she's two years old. She's in Tulare County, and um, she's in CPS. Uh, she's in foster care. We've been trying to get her, um, and the judge is approved and everything, and all the counties are, like, trying to get their act together so she could actually come here. Um, that's a whole other process. My question is actually for after she's placed with us. Am, is there any way for us to file for guardianship when we actually get her? Does that make sense? There is, a, yeah, there is a way to do that. Um, there are some competing factors against you, but what I would do is I would file what's called a 388 petition, and you can Google that and get the form. Before filing okay. this, by the way, you should probably talk to an experienced attorney in juvenile dependency matters, but you can file a 388 to get uh, guardianship of the child or request to get guardianship of the child right away. That, and, and actually, that's very smart that you do that because as a guardian, you have significantly more rights than a relative caretaker of a child. Right. Well, and we're, we started out with guardianship with our grandson and then it moved to um, adoption. I mean, the mom is just, it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Prostitution, drugs, and she just, she's homeless. She takes the baby everywhere she goes, that type of thing. So, but, so what, what where would I, what court do I file that in? Because I live in Riverside. You filed. She's in, she's in I'm sorry? Oh, where I said she's in Tulare County. Tulare County. Oh, okay, so there's a Tulare County juvenile dependency court case regarding this child. Is that correct? Um, yeah, let me look at the paper, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, because she's in foster care, so that would mean that's where she is, right? Not necessarily. Um, you know, the probabilities are that that's where the case is, and let's just assume for purposes of this call that that's where she is. So you'd file a 388 petition requesting guardianship. And by the way, I would not be waiting to do all of this until you got the child. If you continue to wait, they could determine that it's too late to move the child from foster home to your home. Okay? You know, a yeah. lot of people believe that a lot of people believe that, hey, I'm a relative, I'll get this child eventually because it's the law. That's not true. You could be a relative yeah, I know. and not get this child in, in time, and then you may never get the child. So what I would suggest um, is that you immediately file these things, get a pen, and so you can write this down, and you can talk to an attorney okay. who's, who, who you know, is an expert in this area. You want to file a 388 to have the child placed with you immediately. Okay. In that 388, you can also request guardianship and or adoption. And by the way, do it just like I said, guardianship and or adoption. The second thing that you should do is that you should file what's called a JV-285. You can Google it. You can file it and serve that with the court immediately. Okay. Okay. Um, so I don't have to do guardianship and then adoption. I could go straight to adoption? 
Yes, ma'am. Like when I filed this. But he, really. Yeah, but here, here here's the thing that I want you to realize. Because I think mm-hmm. you're, you're you're thinking about the case, you're thinking about the case in a, in a different way than what I'm thinking about the case. Okay. You don't have your grandchild, and you should have your grandchild because of Welfare and Institutions Code Section three zero nine. That right. requires you to have that that child. However, you're telling me you don't have the child, and the child's in foster care. That alerts me right. to the possibility. That alerts me to the possibility that a foster home is going to keep you, fight for your grandchild to stay with them and to be adopted by them all the time. Lovely. So you need we, to file um, this. The, you need to file. My, my biggest problem is um, right now we're sitting here waiting for a letter from my county or the county that I'm certified with um, to give approval for us to take her because we have two, uh, we have twins, medically fragile twins and that are one years old and they're saying we'll be over our limit if we take her even though she won't technically be a foster child um and so this county is holding things it's not tulare county it's san bernardino county (laughs) and it's just like it's i've gone from county to county like to fix problems like i'm the only one who does like calls people and like gets things done like did you write the letter did you do this did you do this did you like seriously i have been for a month, over a month now, been working my ass off basically to get her here. Like, and we've driven, the court knows, the court approved it already. The judge already approved it. It's just, they're like, well, we have to get your home approved. I'm a certified foster parent. (laughs) What do you mean you have to get my home approved? And then once we figured that out, which took three weeks, then my, my foster agency is like, well, we've got to get a, get a a exception from the state, from clinic, from, uh, licensing because you'll be over your limit and I'm just like I'm going to scream (laughs) just like and every time I talk to somebody I get sick and I start crying because I'm like this is so frustrating it's like everybody keeps putting roadblocks up and they're not even people that know each other it's like they're not even in the same county and it's like I just jump from one thing to the next to the next and I think they think I'm going to go away and I'm not (laughs) I will not go away I it's she's my granddaughter. How am I supposed to give that up? No. Mm-mm. <laughs> Can I give you some advice? Yes, please. <laughs> You're thinking about the case in the wrong way. You should be focusing on is taking steps, legal steps, in the courtroom to get your child or your grandchild right now. Because what's going to happen, and I hear this all the time, day in, day out, from people all over California, is that they're going to delay you and delay you and delay you, and you're never going to get that child. I did a case very similar to yours in Riverside County. And although I didn't represent the relatives at the time, this is what they did. They flew out to Riverside County at the very first court hearing. The judge ordered that they be investigated. Okay, they were from another state. Same thing as being from another county. Right. They hired me, they hired me to try to get this child to them. 
the judge ruled that it was too late and that the foster parents were going to keep the child and adopt the child. Now, there was a big fat lawsuit against Riverside County, but it didn't get them the child. And that's what they right. really wanted. Right. So you, you're you sitting back thinking, I'm the grandmother. They're going to do the right thing and give me this child. That's not true. Well, no, I'm actually not convinced that they're going to ever do the right thing. <laughs> I never, ever believe yeah. that. So you better, um, in my opinion, you better file some paperwork uh, in the courtroom right. where this child is a dependent, and you need to do that ASAP. Ma'am, I want to thank you right. for your call this morning. Thank Take you care. very much. And good luck. Okay. Thank you. All righty. I'm going to take another call. This is from area code 951, ending in 66. Good morning. This is Hi, my name is Good morning, Mr. Davis. This is Angel Arjiga calling from uh, Riverside County. Did you have a story or a question? I have a uh, story and a question, I believe. Um, I've been with my fiance okay. for quite a while already, and um, it involves our kids being in the uh, system. We've been uh, family members been trying to fight for them to get them, and as like the last story you just had, it's been a runaround that um, certain family members can't get them, and um, you know it was an abusive relationship. Her ex-husband was abusive towards the children and my uh, fiance. And um, the reason why the kids are in uh, CPS is because they said my fiance failed to uh, report um, and protect the children, which most people, which most people don't understand. Coming from an abuse relationship, it's pretty hard to reach out to someone when your life is being threatened or being told that your children will be harmed. In most cases, um, the social workers do not understand. And the social worker in this case is Leslie Barden out in, uh, in San Bernardino County. Okay. And, and they want her to so sign the rights over. Go ahead. But your problem. Your problem is you're trying to get children with relatives, right? Correct. Okay. So, how long have it's been? been one, how long has it, it been? It's been March 2016. Okay. We're getting. It's been over a year, huh? Yes, sir. And the family's been trying. We've been fighting for day one. And all we got is just to run around and run around and run around, especially the grandparents. Okay. No one knew about the abuse of anything. Go ahead. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The first thing that I'm going to give you, the first thing I'm going to give you is a telephone number that I want you to call today after the show. Okay. and make an appointment to speak with me in further detail on Monday. The number okay. is 888 888 
six five eight two. So that's six five eight eight. Okay. The second thing that I want you to do is I want you to Google this term, WIC309. WIC309. That's actually the law that says that the social workers must place child with a relative ASAP. Correct. For some reason, they they were with the grandparents at one point, and they just took them away. When? A a couple of days after they were given when? to them, they were taken away. Okay. All right. So that's those are the two. I want you to read that before we meet on the phone on Monday. All right. Uh, there's a lot that can be done. Um, it's pretty involved and detailed. It might take us an hour and a half of a conversation, but um, there's something that there's a lot of things that can be done, and I want to help you make sure that these kids are saved. You know, that they're saved and yes, put sir, family you. members. Call me. Make the appointment, okay? Yes. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you for calling. Thank you for calling. What? There's a lot that can be done on that case. It's just going to be involved, and um, I don't want to spend that time on the show, but uh, I hope that he calls and makes that appointment because I can help. Caller that we're going to take is from area code 562, ending in 48. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Did you have a story or a question? Uh, just a story. First and foremost, I want to thank you for your help in the past. You've been a big inspiration in my life. And I've dealt with the whole DCSF thing. I did that for 27 months. They're kind of reckless and sloppy. Uh, as you know, my daughter was in foster care for 14 months because they were supposed to move in with my parents and didn't. They finally did as I was getting the six-day visits with one overnight at my mom's. So that was one day a week. My three-year-old daughter was staying at my mother's house. But uh, like I was saying, they, they uh, we're going to terminate the mother's rights. She's a substance abuser. But they didn't. All through the whole trial, we're going to terminate her rights. She went to prison for three years. Uh, second time convicted of a uh, felony drug abuser. Now she's out. And she went through her rehab and all that. She's back with the drug dealer. But now I'm going to court for the family matter thing. She's trying to get visitation. And I did visitation for like a year and a half with her and her family. Multiple problems. I don't want to get into all that, but, uh, you know, just going to court, trying to terminate her rights. And I have three cases now, one with the grandma, one with the mom and the other one to terminate the mom's rights. So 
it's a big, long, drawn-out thing. People think that this is going to happen overnight. It usually doesn't, and uh, real hard to deal with, you know? If they would have just taken care of what they were supposed to in the beginning instead of catering to the mom so much, it would make my life a lot easier. And there's a three-year-old child involved with all this. So you really, person really needs professional help with something like this. A very, very, very difficult situation. Uh, I did write a screenplay about it. I'm getting ready to release that pretty soon. It's at the Writers Guild. But uh, people need to know what they're dealing with. And uh, for all the fathers out there are trying to get their children, God bless them. In the past, I could not understand why fathers did not come forward. But the whole thing that they have to go through is understandable, you know, on, on my end. I understand now. And I just want to get the whole thing closed. I'm exhausted after three and a half years of courts, court battle, and that sort of thing. And like I said, I thank you for your help. I don't think I would have made it without your help, Vince. You really need someone that knows what they're doing. It's like a person that has no mechanic skills and they need their car fixed. Keep driving, it's going to break down and you're going to be stuck, you know. So I just uh, wanted to share my story with you and I thank you so much for uh, everything. My story, I could sit here and talk for hours and hours and not finish, but I'm trying to get this thing closed out. I went to court, and the uh, judge wanted us to go out in the hallway and work some visitation issues out. My daughter's been in therapy for over a year now over this. She's three, and she's going to therapy. She's doing quite well. But every time when I do visitation with them, they would call up DCSF and tell them I was doing something wrong. So that, that just made things a whole lot worse for me. And the thing that the judge doesn't understand, I have everything documented, by the way. you got to document everything. But I don't want to take my child and take her and drop her off, and then someone's calling somebody on me, thinking that if they make me look bad, the judge is going to hand my child over to them. After three and a half years, you would think they would learn something from this. But it didn't, and I guess it's a blessing in disguise because she's with me now. i got to be thankful for that. And uh, it could be a lot worse. I've never received any child support or any kind of support for my daughter at all. They don't recognize any of her birthdays or Christmas or anything of that nature. So that tells you a little bit about uh, the kind of people I'm dealing with. So anyway, I just wanted to share my story, and I hope you have a great day. And I hope I've helped some listeners out there. you really got to be prepared. You can't go in just like, you know, you just can't go in there without knowing what you're doing or having somebody that knows what they're doing. I've learned a lot, but you still, I still need you. You know, you guys are great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I have two questions for you before you hang up. Okay. Yeah. Number one, I, you know, I know that you're in the entertainment industry and, and somebody I've been approached by a producer for a new reality TV show. And um, the working title of the show is called CPS Horror Stories. And it's about um, the premises interviewing parents who are dealing with CPS 
and CPS cases all over the country. Um, right now I'm on a national book tour and talk show uh, tour, and I'm talking about CPS cases all over the country. And the, the stories that I hear, they're all the same. You know, I was in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. I heard the same thing. I was in Princeton, New Jersey. I was hearing the same horror stories. What do you think about that concept of the reality TV show? Yeah. Um, so what is your question? What do you think about that concept as a reality TV show? I, you know, I think it's great. I'd be willing to participate in something like that. People don't have any knowledge. Like, you hear these stories every day, you know, and I read about it, hear about it, watch it on the news. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people that make mistakes in their life. They shouldn't have children around them. But there's a lot of people that are okay that it gets blown out of proportion. And, you know, people need to know about that. It needs to be put out there. Um, like I said, I, I wrote a screenplay of my whole situation. And I read it. It was a lot of negativity in there. And I thought, you know what? Wait a minute. I went back to when my father was born. And I wrote a few pages about my family background. I had a good upbringing. I had a good loving family and I put that in there. So I'm going to be chopping that around for someone to make into a television film or a, you know, feature film, probably a TV movie or something of that nature, because people really do need to be aware of what's going on. Uh, if this happens to them in the beginning, everyone's, I did trying to cooperate with the social worker and what they say. And you, they're telling me, you don't need an attorney. Well, you know, I know that I do need an attorney, but they're telling me, well, we're not taking your child, Mr. Collette. We're just, we want to, we just want to talk to you about a few things. And then, so you're cooperating. And I kept saying, I need an attorney here. Well, we'll have to bring our attorneys in and go back and forth. It gets very, very messy. Okay, so I cooperate, and they still took my daughter because of the allegations against me. Uh, what allegations? There's no allegations. I'm, this isn't my first child. I have four children, you know, and they're good children. They're doing well in school. So I think it's a great idea. Uh, more information needs to be put out there for people. And uh, what was your second question in your screenplay, is Denzel Washington going to be playing me? Is what now? Is Denzel Washington going to be playing the part of Vince Davis? You know, we do need to talk to him about that. I think that's a okay. great idea. <laughs> he'd, he'd be a good one for your part, man. <laughs> yeah. So that would be All great, right. and uh, we, we need to sit down and talk, you know. All right. Take care, and thank you for your call. Thank you. Have a All right. I'm taking the next call. It's from a, um unlisted number. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis. How can I help you? Hello? Here's that one. Okay, we're going to go to area code 925, ending in 29. 
Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning. You know, maybe maybe sometimes people call in and they don't want to talk. They just want to listen, and that's fine. Uh, so there are a couple of things that I wanted to mention before we end our show today. And that is um, that story about the possible TV reality show. Do me a favor and email me and tell me what you think about that. Or if you'd be willing to be a guest on such a TV show. Um, It's just you talking about your experiences with uh, CPS in your county or, or within your state. You can email me at v at vwdlaw.com. That's v at vwdlaw.com. And just tell me what you think about that idea of uh, CPS Horror Stories as a reality TV show. Uh, the producers that contacted me want me to make a decision about my involvement within the next week. So I'd really like to hear what people think about that idea of a, of a TV show. All right. So I'm going to get back to, I want to get back to my story about the probate case. So once DCFS makes the allegations against my client that he now is a danger of sexually abusing the child, uh, that started probably in September or October of 2016. We just finished the trial uh, this past week. And luckily for us, we were able to prevail and the judge throughout the case. But the one thing that it illustrates, and what I want the listeners to know about this, is that a lot of times CPS workers will take the position uh, that they're right, and they're no matter what, no matter sometimes how ridiculous the evidence is that they are trying to use against a parent or a legal guardian, they will take you all the way to the mat. And what you have to do is you have to be willing to fight and to be all right. In this particular case, a settlement was made halfway through the court case, and the settlement was my client, you drop your guardianship and give up all legal rights to the child, and in return, we will drop the case against you, the case for sexual abuse. Now, a lot of people would take that deal because they're just tired of fighting. Fighting is expensive. It's emotional. It affects you psychologically. And, and sometimes you start even doubting yourself. So all of those are used to defeat you in juvenile court. Their tricks are used to defeat you in any lawsuit. They're the same types of tactics. So be prepared to go to court, go to trial, and fight for your rights. You know, many people tell me that even though that's what they wanted to do, that they were convinced by their attorney to take a deal, a plea, if you will, 
and to come back to court in six months to get their child back then. The big problem with that is that there have been certain judicial findings made against you. And it is hard to recover from those findings because they will always haunt you. And when your case gets passed on to the next social worker, uh, the social worker won't know anything about the deal that you made, but will only know that there was a finding against you by clear and convincing evidence that you were a substantial danger to the child and that there were no less restrictive alternatives. Now, when you are having your trial at the beginning of the case, I highly doubt that anybody explained that to you. And I highly doubt that anyone explained all of your rights to you. So it is your responsibility, these are your children, to educate yourself. And as the first caller today said, and I think she's accurate, that that red book or that dog book should be handed out to every parent who's involved in a DCFS, DCFS or CPS case. Fortunately, it's over 550 pages, so that's not going to happen. What's going to happen is you can get it free online by Googling it. You need to start reviewing it. Look at the table of contents. It lays out the entire juvenile dependency proceedings. And you don't have to read all of it. Just read the part where your, you know, where, where your case uh, re results in. Uh, sometimes people come to me at the beginning of the case, so we we would want to read the detention part. Some some people come to me at the jurisdictional and dispositional phase. Well, it doesn't matter what happened at the detention for them because we're doing the jurisdictional and dispositional phase of the case. Sometimes people come to me at the six-month review dates. Well, it doesn't really matter what happens at the jurisdictional and dispositional phase of the case because that's over. We need to focus on the six-month review date type of hearing. When they're going to what's going through what's called the 366.26 hearing, where you know, their rights are about to be terminated. Their parental rights are about to be terminated. They could possibly lose the child to adoption. So it doesn't mean, it, you know, for them, it doesn't matter what happened at the jurisdictional hearing. What only matters is what's happening now, and that's what they should be educate them, educating themselves on. Now, there is one other thing that I want to mention to people, because a lot of people don't know this, and it's extremely important. Let's say you've gone through the juvenile dependency process and you come to a hearing, it's a six-month review hearing. It's usually known as a 366.21E or 21F hearing. And, the, and sometimes this even happens at the dispositional hearings, and this is important, um, where you lose your family reunification services. If that ever happens, you must file what's called a notice of intent to file a writ to appeal that ruling. It's not a regular appeal in California. It's a special type of an appeal called a writ where you're um, asking to appeal the, judge, the trial court's decision to terminate your family reunification services. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that your attorney your trial attorney, be it a private attorney 
or a court-appointed attorney is responsible to do that writ for you. It's re- they're responsible to file the notice of intent and to also file the brief of the notice uh, regarding that notice of intent. And that can be a substantial amount of work. Finding is a lot of people come to me having filed the notice of intent, but the attorney doesn't file the brief. And in a lot of cases, the attorney takes the position that you really don't have a good chance to file, um, to win on the writ. So they somehow convince you or without talking to you, uh, don't file that writ and then you lose all of those appellate rights with respect to your family reunification services. And this could come back to haunt you during your case and or appeal of the 366.26 hearing, which could be the termination of your parental rights. If you ever find yourself in this position and you're not getting any assistance, please give us a call. We will help you. And you can call us at 888-888-6582. Extremely important that you preserve those rights. The last thing that I want to talk about is the jurisdictional and dispositional hearings. They are two separate hearings, but in most California courtrooms, they are done together. And in my opinion, they are done together for uh, judicial economy and efficiency, which doesn't always work to the benefit of the parents' rights. Uh, Get the dog book, read the dog book as to the jurisdictional and dispositional hearings. There's too much in there for me to go over in a one-hour talk radio show. Educate yourself. Know what you need to do to prepare for those hearings. So at the minimum, what you should do is you should have one or two or even three meetings with your attorney to strategize and develop a defense for those two hearings. That would include witnesses and the subpoenaing of witnesses. So in a juvenile court case, uh, the sheriff of your county will serve your subpoenas for free and give you um, proofs of service so that you can compel important witnesses to come to your hearing. Now, please remember that Witnesses for jurisdictional hearings and witnesses for dispositional hearings are different because there are different, these hearings address different issues in your case. So the the jurisdictional hearing is, hey, did that allegation, you know, of you being a risk or you abusing a child, did it actually happen? Those usually involve percipient witnesses, um, somebody that heard or saw um, something happened. Uh, they could, be, could involve recipient witnesses um, of people who had contact with the victim, victim subsequently. For example, in a sexual abuse case, um, 10-year-old girl makes allegations that stepfather sexually abused her, but later told the doctor or the nurse or the police officer that she just made it up because 
she was mad at the stepdaughter, stepfather. So don't rely on the social worker to put that in the report. I've been involved in cases where that hadn't happened. As a matter of fact, I've been involved in a case where the social worker reported the exact opposite. So you're going to have to make sure that you and your attorney perform some pretrial discovery, that you and your attorney perform some pretrial investigation, which would include the interviewing of certain witnesses to see whether there is a defense, to see, you know, if you go to trial and there's a doctor who would come in and say, well, the girl told me she, it didn't happen because, and she only said it because she was mad at her stepfather. Wouldn't that be an important witness to have in court? And believe me, you're not going to make that doctor come to court by just calling him on the, him or her on the phone. You're going to have to subpoena that doctor into court, make them come in with their records and testify. Now, witnesses for jurisdictional parts of the hearing are completely different. They're not, the question at a, at a dispositional hearing is not if the allegation happened. The question is, if it happened, are you a substantial danger to the child by clear and convincing evidence? And so that might be, you know, your individual counselor. That might be your um, anger management teacher. That might be your drug counselor. That might be the drug testing facility where you've tested, you know, 25 times clean. Those, that might be the social worker who wrote the jurisdictional report because she or he needs to be cross-examined. Times at a dispositional hearing, I asked the social worker, tell me all the ways that my client is a substantial danger to the child. And they just give me this blank look. Like, well, I really can't name anything, but I just got that gut-level feeling. So these are important witnesses that have to. I want to thank everyone for listening today. Don't forget, um, these shows are recorded and transcribed, and you can get the uh, listen to all of my past recordings at uh, talkradioexperts.com. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, some very important topics, and I hope to have a guest, uh, Attorney Stephanie Davis trial attorney and appellate attorney. So I look forward to seeing you next week on the radio. Good night or have a good day.